Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I loved the Disney movies growing up as a kid. And there was, uh, there's this one at Disney World where you put on sort of VR headset. And for those who don't know, virtual reality, very immersive. You're looking around inside these experiences. You got these headphones on, so you're totally audio immersed. And they have this moment where you dive into the Little Mermaid and they also drop water from the ceiling. And I felt like I saw the future at Disney World and it wasn't real. Or not like I know real. Not like we've defined real, but I dove into the virtual sea and I felt the water splash across my face. I heard the ocean in my ears. I saw a mermaid singing right in front of me and I could touch. Well, right through her. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? And I can't be the only one to see the irony that she wants to be. Where the people are. She wants to see them, see them dancing. But as a representative sample of supposed to be dancers, we're fine, thank you. Content here in our minds, thank you. Let's turn reality to channel 259, thank you. Walking around on them. What are they called again? Who remembers? We never use them anymore. Scene changed to behind Aladdin and Jasmine on their magic carpet ride. And as I marvel at this new fantastic point of view, I realize love could live here too. I could build a whole new world with you, adventure with you, fly through skies of green and trees of blue. This shining, shimmering, splendid gift is now available for just ninety ninety nothing when Squarespace needs Oculus Rift. Singing change to the African plains to where Simba and Nala are playfully playing. So close that I'm literally part of their game, but I can't quite feel the wrestling. Not yet. But give it time, we're still developing. We'll make simulation much more like the real thing. You'll have complete control over everything because we just can't wait to be king. We just can't wait to rule over the worlds we create rather than participate in the one we share. And we'll be able to build our own world soon. Let's have tea in Morocco this afternoon. This evening, I'll build you a palace on the moon. We'll sip soup on silver spoons. And for dessert, we'll have gravity removed. We'll flow through the cosmos with oxygen tubes. I reject the physics of Mars and Neptune to make them more suitable for you. Our minds, worlds, they have different rules. No longer bound by atmosphere, nature's limitations wiped clear. You can just turn people on and off in here. So by reality channel 365, my world's only touched by those I decide. I'm completely immersed in the confines of my own mind, opposing ideas left wiped aside. But maybe eventually we'll come to find that we needed each other. This whole damn time. Maybe this world we're the tiniest piece of has a system of balance we could never dream of pushing us somewhere we won't consciously scheme up. Maybe we shouldn't have so much power. Maybe going forwards is backwards. Maybe we should go lie in the grass and make love without glasses, even if it only stimulates orgasm classic. I want to be where the people are. Up where they walk. Up where they run. Up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. Wish I could be part of that world. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Max, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. 
It is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your work by way of your publicist. And, you know, I've heard all the accolades like, you know, Forbes calls you one of the greatest storytellers of all time. And as somebody who absolutely loves stories, I knew it was kind of a no brainer to have you as a guest. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping the choices that you have made with your own life and career? So my mother is a therapist. Um, and my father is a journalist. Uh, my dad is actually a very, um, a very well-known journalist. He was the co-anchor of 2020 with Barbara Walters. Wow. And he's really was, uh, it's one of the main reasons that libertarianism is as popular as it is, is his devotion to it. And Mm -hmm. my dad is a brilliant storyteller. He's brilliant at making things simple and cutting them down. I got to grow up watching him edit stories and watching him say to people, what, what does that really mean? What's going on? Huh? Come on, no, make it simpler, make it dumber, make people understand it. Um, and he was very good at holding the integrity of a message and making it really just like common sense for people to understand. And I think I really value that and it has shaped some of my own desire for helping really, really wanting people to get it. Um, and my mom is the friend that all her friends call when they're going through something hard. And I really deeply value her mm-hmm. emotional awareness and emotional intelligence and they say that I got the best of both of them, which I think is the greatest compliment. Um, yeah. But it's, but yeah, they've very, they're, and both, they're both incredible communicators. And that really has been in my DNA for a long time. So, you know, this is something I always ask people who are uh, children of therapists. Do you, are, are you immune to all the other issues that most of us go to therapy to get fixed when we grow up because you had a mother who was a therapist or did you basically go through all the same bullshit that everybody else does? <laughs> um, absolutely the same bullshit everybody else does. And one thing my mom says, which I think is really fun and accurate, is it, it, it does it like no matter what you do, you're going to mess up your kids. It's just a matter of how <laughs> therapists yeah. are not not immune to that by any means. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember uh, in the TV show Parenthood, like they get to the very end. I mean, you talk about great storytelling. That is probably one of my favorite shows of all time. And the very final episode, uh, Craig T. Nelson turns to his daughter and he's like, you know what? Parents screw their kids up. That's just what we do. And it seems to be part of the job. Well, I mean, it just made me have such a greater level of empathy for the things that I thought my parents had done wrong. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was growing up and, you know, my sister just had her first child. I'm kind of like, this is a tall order, like to raise a decent human being. Like, that's not a, a small job we're asking them to do. Absolutely. And, you know, all in the spirit of what you shared about this podcast, I'll share a little bit deeper in that the ways that my parents messed me up most, I would say, is my dad and watching him at the dinner table over and over again, show how the thing that it felt like is right when you look at it really deeply Look how that thing didn't actually turn out to be true. Look how it feels like, often for him, government should be the ones to solve this problem. But when they try to do that, look what happens. And I internalized that as I can't trust my feelings. Mm. And that was very hard to overcome. And when I talked to him about that later, he was like, what? I'm talking about like in government, trust your feelings in your life. Um, But that was absolutely how I internalized it. And mom, by being an anxious person and doing a lot of things for me, was too afraid to watch me fail, to let me make my own mistakes. And that was difficult too. But so those are some of the ways that my parents messed me up. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, so, you know, like your dad being a co-anchor with Barbara Walters, I mean, those are some like big shoes to fill. You know, like it makes me think of Trevor Noah when he started at The Daily Show. And I remember thinking, God, this guy has some seriously big shoes to fill. Like, how the hell is he going to follow up? John Stewart. And then I was like, well, thanks to the Trump presidency, Trevor Noah made a career. Um, but <laughs> did you ever have the sense that you have this like just gigantic shoes to fill with your dad being who he was? Um, yes, but I also my attitude towards it has kind of been like, I just don't even want to be in that field. And I guess I have been I'm a storyteller in some capacity, but you know, my dad's won 19 Emmys and has been one of the most influential journalists like maybe of all time. And he doesn't feel successful. Um, Mm. he's like, why doesn't everybody just get it? Why aren't there more people who understand the philosophies that I am preaching and to watch someone have that level of success and not feel successful was also sort of like a, well, you know, I don't even want to try to fill those shoes. I don't want to try to walk in, um, to walk in that path. And I felt more desire to do my own thing. Well, I don't think that that's abnormal uh, in the world that we live in. I remember we had this uh, psychologist, Sasha Hines, and she was telling me that if you look at the Olympic podium and you watch the expression, she said the person who wins the gold is, of course, thrilled because they won the gold. 
the person who won the bronze is happy to just be up on the uh, on the podium. And she said, if you look, the silver medalist is always the one who's the most disappointed because in their <laughs> mind, they didn't win a silver medal. They didn't win the gold. And mm -hmm. she's like, it's just because of hedonic adaptation, like your goalpost keeps changing. And I wonder, you know, in your own life, you know, having already gotten to this point where you've you know, gotten all these accolades, like, how do you find a, a balance between fulfillment and ambition? Mm. I think for me, I have really shifted my own goalpost from any kind of idea of external success to really feeling deeply satisfied and fulfilled internally. Um, I re like, you know, I, I'm releasing this special on Wednesday, actually, and it won an award at this film festival. And that award felt nice. It felt nice because I'm doing something so different that has been so like, it's hard to even get a conversation with people in the traditional streaming services about what a poetry special, what the heck is that? But then to be recognized in like a traditional way felt really good. It's like, oh, look, like even you film people, even you think this is good. Ha! Huh? It's mm -hmm. like I had some satisfaction that way. Yeah. But for the most part, I find like a lot of the award systems just to be sort of silly. And I think there's an endless treadmill of trying to chase what other people think is going to be good for us or what success means in the others' eyes, as opposed to a felt sense of this is what my heart wants in this moment. And I'm coming to, to value success as the latter. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Yeah. How do you make that shift? Because, I mean, you know, you've obviously done a lot of work around attention, which we'll talk about. I mean, we live in a world where everybody's accomplishments are on public display 24 hours a day. 
you know, all you have to do is log into a social network and you can feel shit about yourself and feel shitty about yourself in a matter of seconds. It's like, oh, I published a book. Well, this guy just sold his startup for a hundred million dollars. It's like, great. I'm a loser. Yeah. You are never enough. Um, That is the message on social media. Uh, That is not the message I'm telling you here on this podcast. Uh, In how have I dealt with that? How did I make a transition without the question? Yeah. I think honestly, (laughs) the real truth is in falling very deeply in love with a friend's fiance (laughs) and her with with me Mm. and having that be seen so deeply as so wrong by those who I was surrounded by and really trying with my own head to be like, yeah, of course, like this is wrong. No, like, no, this is wrong. And then at the very pit of that self evaluation to be like this is just here like this just is this just is something that is real and alive in me and if people can't see that or understanding that then they're not understanding me and they're not actually on my team and that experience you know created a lot of social shedding and a lot of social shift but in some ways like I lost a whole lot of people who I thought were friends and a lot of people who I cared about at the time um, and, you know, still have, have care for, but just really saw through this experience how much they didn't actually care about me. And in following my heart at something that I knew to be true at a foundational level, even when others were very judgmental of it, gave me the sort of the shifting point of, of, wow, at the end of the day, like, I just know what's true in me. And no matter how awfully this will go, I still want it. And having that awareness was was a game changer that has stuck. I'd imagine that that was probably incredibly disruptive to the friend ship with the person whose fiance you fell in love with. <laughs> yes. Um, how do you navigate the pain of a friendship that you know falls apart like that? Oh, I don't have the answers for everybody on that one. Um, yeah, for me, it was. It yeah, it was terrible. It was tremendously painful to lose the friend it was tremendously painful to not have this this woman be in my life um and it, how does one manage that a day at a time um but i was tremendously lucky to have this experience also illuminate those who really did care about me and show me what true love and unconditional support and friendship look like and people who are really valuing my heart and i got to see what i got to see what loves what love builds and where love grows. And I don't normally talk about this on podcast. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Fair enough. Um, well, uh, for you growing up, what was the narrative uh, from your parents about making your way in the world you know, in terms of what you should do with your life, what you should do with your career? Uh, was there anything that they, they pointed you towards? Um, it was sort of a culture of you need to do well in school you're going to need to be successful at something by whatever definition that is, but not much uh, direction of you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. It was mostly just like, whatever you do, you better do it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's been the trajectory that has led you to becoming uh, you know, a spoken word artist? Because you know, a spoken word artist, like many of the people I interview, is not one of those things that you will go into your high school guidance counselor's office and tell her you want to do. Um, yeah, I had no poetry background. I had no writing background, really, other than this, like, communication family and communication history. I'd always been a good communicator. And I heard this poet named NQ perform. And uh, he shared this poem about falling in love at 85. And my arms were buzzing. And that hadn't happened to me this way before. And I was trying to figure out why my arms were buzzing. And I pulled out my phone notepad and started like kind of journaling, being like, what's going on here? And the first two lines of what I wrote rhymed. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. Uh, And I finished that poem and I saw him the next day. I said, hey, like I wrote a poem after you shared your poem. Do you want to hear it? And he's like a very kind of like cool, calm, collected guy. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I shared the poem. He's like, wow, it's like you should consider pursuing this. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I started, I started writing these poems. And then I had some friends who had events and they asked me to share poems at their events. And at the end of those events, people would say, can you, sh- can you send that poem to me? And I would write it out in an email and I'd be about to hit send. And I'd be like, this does not feel right. I don't feel like I'm actually sending 
the it, the source, that thing at the center that I'm actually so passionate about giving. This just feels like words on a page. There's something in the delivery and the rhyme and the rhythm. It's like a soul of the art that's getting lost. How can I help translate that soul through the screen? And that's what the work in film has been for me, is a way of keeping the essence of the soul of the poem so that I can hand it to you through a screen and you can still have what I meant to deliver you and not just the empty box and packing pellets. Um, and that's, and yeah, it's become, you know, those the first couple of videos I did went, uh, went viral and that sort of told me that there was demand for this and people who are interested in it. And I started performing more, doing my own live shows. And then this special that I just created is the, the first like hour long story piece, nine poems, nine films all put together into one and just is a big piece of my heart. And I'm, I'm just really grateful that it gets to be out in the world in a few days. Yeah. And so you have this moment where you feel your arms buzzing and your instinct is to just start writing things down. And I feel like I talk to so many people who have this sort of creative impulse, something inside of them, and they deny it, they ignore it, they don't do anything about it. Um, and I see this even in the answers to, excuse me, um, the survey questions that I send out and people will send very vague goals. Like I remember thinking, I saw this uh, response that said, a purpose that's meaningful and monetized. And I'm like, well, that's kind of ironic because that's kind of a meaningless purpose. Like it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, and, and it got me thinking about why people either, you know, are so vague. And I realized it, deep down there's, in my mind, something that probably is making them afraid to say what they truly want. So I actually resent the survey yesterday saying, look, I want you to tell me what you actually want. Don't hold back here. And I'm in no place to judge you. I don't care how batshit crazy I think it sounds. Tell me what you really want. So why do you think it is that people in those moments don't do anything? Like when they hear the creative call or when they hear that, that buzz, they ignore yeah, it? Exactly. I think in some ways, like to truly express ourselves is the scariest thing. I don't think, I think if I had consciously known that that's what the path was, <laughs> I don't know that I would have jumped at it the same way. But like yeah. the, there's a depth of, of like, of vulnerability and when the expression is from the center when the expression is it's just like here's something that feels so true to me and matters to me so much like will you hold it like can you see this and can you love me um and i think that's a really scary act i was also i was so excited by it because i more had like a child like wonder sense of oh my god look what's happening look at these this voice that is flowing through me it doesn't feel like me look at this thing it's so beautiful i want to share it with you and i have held on to the admiration just of the beauty and wanting people to have this thing that doesn't feel like me but feels so but feels so beautiful and and i feel so connected to the universe through it and so to me it just it feels like no choice but to follow that but why do people not? I think because it is a little scary. It is a little bit crazy to listen to the voice that is talking to you <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in some ways by definition or to to honor these invisible magical experiences as actually real and important. I think that takes a level of courage that um, I definitely want to encourage everybody to listen to because it's it does visit everyone. Um, it is available to everyone. And for me, it's been some of the most meaningful moments and experiences of my life to listen to that, to that creative voice that when it's coming through, and even if it's talking in weird ways or making me do weird things, it feels very worth it to me. Hmm. What were you doing for work at the time? Um, I was, uh, I think at that point, I was working at a small social media company called Ocho. We were trying to be the Instagram for video. This is before Instagram had video. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I was working for them at the time, designing notifications to take people out of their world and bring them into mine, mm -hmm. um, which was how I got started sort of in the, uh, center for humane technology and then social awakening side of the work that I do. But I was, I was a UX designer for an app. Well, I, I, there's a reason I asked that because, you know, we're talking about this sort of inner voice that we have creatively. And I feel like so often it is drowned out by the noise of the world around us. And I wanted to get into some of the things that you talk about in your TED Talk, uh, Advertising is Destroying Everything. And one of the things that you say is the problem is that we've gotten so good at it as we've carried around these devices in our pockets and we've gotten so good at perfect 
perfecting tactics to steal and hold as much of your time as possible, that it's starting to be a threat to our new system. And, you know, I think that what strikes me as so fascinating about this idea of fake news is people know it's a problem. Uh, and I only know this because my brother-in-law is working on a startup to combat fake news. And, and I, you know, we, we keep having these conversations. I was like, it's not that any of us don't know that this is a problem. It's just that the pain of it and the consequences of it don't affect us directly day to day. So we don't feel the pain of it as much as say something like, oh, I need a distraction blocker to block distractions. Um, I mean, talk to me about the actual implications of this for a society at large when we have this kind of an ecosystem in technology that is trying to steal as much of our attention as possible. Like, What is the long-term consequence of that? So there's so many sections of it. Um, one of them that I deal with most directly is just the mental health challenges and we're seeing especially among teenagers and especially among teenage girls just skyrocketing depression anxiety self-harm and suicide and the only explanation that really makes any sense is social media um and so just like the self-comparison though why doesn't my body look like that why is everyone else's life better than mine why aren't my accomplishments good enough you couldn't design a better self-comparison machine than the social media platforms. If you wanted to design a system to make people feel inadequate, could you build a better one than the social media platforms? I don't think so. Um, but then on a news on a news uh, perspective, uh, Zainab Tufetsky is a misinformation researcher who articulates this really well. Talks about how in the 2016 elections, she, was, she would watch a couple of Donald Trump videos on YouTube, and then she would start to be recommended more and more extreme videos and eventually like Ku Klux Klan type type of content. She'd watch some Bernie videos. She'd be pushed towards more and more extreme socialism and then the conspiracy left of chemtrails and all that stuff. But then it wasn't just politics. She would watch a vegetarian video and then she'd be pushed towards veganism and how you shouldn't eat any honey products because those are from bees. You'd watch a dieting video. It would push you towards like anorexia content, like pro-anorexia content. It's like you're never hardcore enough for YouTube. And in the nature of trying to grab and hold as much attention as possible, our news these algorithms, our news ecosystem understands what are the ideas that you are likely to believe and then naturally tends to push you towards more and more extreme versions of those ideas. And so what does the world look like when 2 billion people are pushed towards the most extreme versions of whatever they're most likely to believe when everybody is certain the world is crumbling exactly in the way that they knew it would and every new news event is evidence of how, look how evil those other people are and how good my people are, how right I am. What does that world look like? I think we're living inside of it and I think it's, done a number on politics it's done a number on even familial relationships and i think our news ecosystem is an absolute mess if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. 
BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one quote in particular that struck me in that talk. You said, by the time any sort of correction is issued, by the time people get any sort of right information, it's too late, even if it does reach them in the first place. And the reason that that struck me so much is uh, recently there's been a story spreading, and I don't know if you, you've seen it, chances are you have because it's spreading like wildfire, about um, this Indian doctor who drove a Tesla off a cliff. Um, and basically, you know, CHP is saying, you know, evidence shows that this is an, had been an intentional act. And I, I just was Googling the other day because I wanted to see what people were saying on Facebook. Because in my mind, I was like, this story doesn't add up. Nothing about this guy like screams, hey, this is the kind of guy who's going to drive his family off a cliff. Like, you know, the way that his neighbors have talked about him, the way that um, everybody has talked about him. And yet when I saw the comments on the, the you know links people had shared about the story, every one of these are like, oh, send this guy to prison. I hope he burns in hell. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but he has supposedly going to be arrested, but nobody's talked to either his wife or, you know, the children to find out if this was in fact an intentional act, like it's just spreading like wildfire that this was an intentional act. And so that now has become the dominant version of truth in people's minds. Um, and even, you know, the hospital he works at said, you know, we're not going to comment on this because it's a developing story, which was probably the most responsible thing. But it's amazing. Like even the most reputable news outlets have covered this story. Um, and so it, I, I thought that was a, a perfect sort of example of, of something that you're talking about, because like I said, in my mind, I just I can't shake the fact that this story doesn't add up like it just doesn't the, the pattern the, the, of history of this guy doesn't scream, hey, this is a guy who's going to drive his family off a cliff. But again, I don't know anything other than what I've read, um, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like I'm like, yet I see what is happening and I'm thinking this poor guy, if he's actually proven innocent, like the damage that's been done already. And yeah, I, I'm not familiar with the story itself, but certainly the concept of the 24-hour news cycle being so hungry for attention that it will take whatever the initial story or photo is and run with it. That's just not how actual factual information distribution works. It takes time to sort through what really happened or went on. Um, mm -hmm. That's definitely been an influence of dad who would go on these tours of are we scaring ourselves to death, talking about how the media would pick on every single scary thing and how butane lighters are exploding in our pockets and killing eight people a year while not considering how many people die in cars or just like the actual the things that we actually ought to be afraid of um, compared to the the scary jumpy headline and yeah. it's a lot of these things have existed for generations beyond just social media but social media has poured gas on all of the fires and gas on our gladiatorial instincts of yeah what a monster i want to show how bad he is or just people using whatever did occur as evidence for whatever they already wanted to believe if it was a tesla i'm sure there are people who are saying Elon Musk programmed it to go off the cliff on purpose because Elon Musk is a monster. It's not true. <laughs> Just like people will take whatever happened and spin it towards whatever their agenda already was. Yeah. So how then do we solve this problem or is there a solution? Because you say, what if 
instead of maximizing, you know, the amount of time spent on these sites, what if we maximize things that really matter? What if imagine a world that doesn't compete for your attention, but instead competes to help you thrive? Like, how do you build that world? And what role does storytelling and words that move actually play in all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think we first have to envision that future. And storytelling is a key part of that, painting the picture of what could a beautiful world look like. And an example is like, how wonderful would it be if a social network was using all of its data, the tremendous amounts of data it has, these tremendously powerful algorithms to help actually optimize our social lives? Have I helped to illuminate, have I helped to illuminate new opportunities or experiences you wouldn't have otherwise realized are possible and that you later rate as meaningful? And I help connect you with new people that you later said like that you're really happy are now in your life. If it's news and information, did I in a measurable way make you more educated about a subject? Or did I just do the thing that grabbed the most attention in all of these instances? If we start to measure it in life outcomes, if we turn the app store into the help center of like what, uh, you know, what apps or activities or things in the real world helped me most thrive with creativity was being bold in my life with helping put food on the table for my family. If like our digital world was sorted that way around what are the things that actually help us thrive, that's a world I very much want to live in. And like those are social networks I would very much pay for and pay for other people who couldn't afford to have. I have no interest in paying for Twitter Blue or paying for Facebook as it is now. But if there was a network that was actually using its data to like help be on my team and help me live the way that I want to live, what a, the best personal assistant of all time. What an incredible possibility. And I would love to live in that tech world. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, I, I think that there's this whole idea of free and, you know, I think you know this better than anybody, right? Like if you're getting something free, you know, you're not using a product, you are the product is kind of the saying, right? Um, now, given that these, you know, tech giants, like the ones you've talked about, Twitter, you know, Facebook, whatever, are like just massively profitable, how do you start to, you know, create a conversation uh, around what you're talking about and the world that you're talking about that also investors say, yeah, OK, you know what? Like this is not going to be the 100x return that basically returns the entire value of a funder is becomes the next unicorn. Like, how do you create that both sustainably and profitably? I do. So I used to think that like Apple was going to come to the rescue and because their money isn't made as much on advertising. They only make like 10% or something on ads and the rest is on hardware. that They can establish these systems. I've come to find there's so much inertia in these big companies that it's very hard to, to change the direction, the direction they're headed meaningfully. So I think it needs to be the next, the next generation. And part of that and part of the role of storytelling and videos like the ones I've made are, can we create new demands? Like, can we as consumers demand something that is actually caring about us? And is that where we want to put our dollars, where we want to put our attention? Um, because it certainly starts with, it starts with us. And I think we need help from all parties involved, but um, we can as consumers say, yeah, I just, I don't want the thing that just I'm keeping on upgrading every day for the new better camera or bigger screen or whatever it is. No, an upgrade in technology is something that is actually considering my life and helping me live it meaningfully. Um, that just feels like a better world. And it is one that we can demand. And if there's a market for it, if people do want that, I think there's money to be made. Yeah, it might not be the 100x unicorn valuation that people can milk, you know, off of these advertising platforms. But, uh, you know, just because, you know, cigarettes and slot machines are not the only businesses in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it makes me think about media in general and, and monetizing media because, you know, we have ads on the show and, you know, we have an ad-free option. And one of the more difficult choices that I have made often is that I basically said I will never uh, compromise the editorial quality of what we do and the guests that we choose in service of metrics. And that comes at a cost sometimes. It means, oh, I'm not going to say yes to this, like, wildly popular guest who might lead to a ton of downloads and more ad revenue. Uh, but I'll choose one that I think will, you know, share something of tremendous value who may not, you know, be the most popular person in the world or, you know, share us with a million followers. And yet, you know, we're also investor funded. So I, and that's one thing I've tried to emphasize is like, OK, well, you know, yes, everything you listen to is free, but somebody is always subsidizing it. Somebody is always paying for this. And, and in this case, it's like, OK, fine. You don't want to support um, you know, a podcast by subscribing and, and listening to it ad free. Well, then you know what? The advertisers basically subsidize your ability to consume this thing for free. 
And I, I don't think people quite get that even when we read different news outlets, because um, I remember just coming across a thing on The Guardian yesterday, like their little donate to us thing that says, you know, we don't have a billionaire owner who influences our editorial policy or something along those lines. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's wonderful that you approach it that way as well. It takes like that's the type of integrity that is very necessary in this ecosystem of what do I actually care about? What do I actually want to put out in the world? Because also it's never been easier to fall into the, ooh, this is a shiny object who will get me the more likes or clicks or listens or downloads or shares or whatever it is. Like, we, you know, this is the new version of selling out in a way. Um, mm. And it takes people actually reminding, it's like reminding ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, what do I actually want to do? Is this actually a person that I want to talk to? Is this actually a message that I want to put out into the world? Um, and letting that be our compass. It's teaching this to kids is really tough because imagine being in high school and middle school where, you know, how important it feels to be popular and then having every action, every word you say be accustomed, you know, be uh, accustomed, be exposed to these same forces. Um, it's just like a really tricky time to make sure that you're actually living your own life and not be driven by these external reward systems that are very addictive. Um, and so I guess I'm I'm glad to hear that you're using discernment about who and what you put on. I'm honored to be a part of it. You saying that about high school reminds me of the TV show 13 Reasons Why. They, I remember at the end of the show, they did an outtake with uh, all the cast members and they were talking about cyberbullying because I, I don't know how old you are. I'm 44, going to be 45. And so I didn't grow up with all this stuff. But the thing that struck me most was I said, you know, one of the things that people don't realize, particularly like people in an older generation who think, oh, these kids are just being wimps when it comes to cyberbullying, is that when you're that young, um, for the developing brain, something like, you know, just being trolled on Facebook has a sense of permanence to it that, you know, you don't quite understand uh, when you're that age. And so... I guess, you know, in my mind, it's like, OK, how do you how do you go about fixing that? Uh, and, and, you know, really one, not just education, because I don't think any one of us listening to this is unaware of a lot of the things that you're saying. Yet somehow, despite the fact that we're all aware of this, how many of us after listening to this might just go on Instagram and check you know pictures or, you know, scroll through Facebook to see what somebody else has posted? Probably half the people listening. Sure. And for kids, I think one of the big things that we can do is just create more environments where that is not the norm. Like in a lot of schools right now, just cell phones are just like out and allowed in schools. Um, I think giving more of the opportunity where here is an eight hour period where kids can learn, focus, patience, how to be without their devices, the social skills of like just how to deal with boredom, how to walk up to somebody and start a conversation. Like these are, it's never been easier to run away from ourselves. And so I think one of the best things we can do is create more life that doesn't revolve around this thing for kids to experience so they at least have a comparison point. I also, you know, I think you're being generous with of saying, you know, the adults who uh, don't understand uh, what that feels like because also it's the adults are acting like children on these platforms of yeah. as soon as they see the one negative comment, they can't get it out of their head. There's that meme of like, can't come to sleep, honey. Like there's someone on the internet who's wrong. Um, and it's just, it's, yeah, adults are acting like kids in this too and very susceptible. Like our inner child is very susceptible to these forces and it's just even harder to resist when it's been your whole world. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it. Um, New York Times had an article about teenage Luddites recently uh, that Cal Newport referenced on his blog. And I remember the girl basically actually like criticized her parents and said they're addicted to their phones. <laughs> totally. Uh, which really struck me as like, oh, wait, she's a teenager who's actually telling her parents to get the hell off their phones. So I was like, whoa. Um, but, you know, Cal Newport said this is a very good sign that teenagers are actually starting to think like this. I hope we're starting to see a shift. I gave a talk once where uh, a parent told a story of how they have the no phones at the table policy. And when their grandma came over, she took out her phone and their six year old was like, Grandma, there are no phones at our table. <laughs> um, nice. And the kids, they do recognize that when everybody is off of these things, just there is a different social feeling. Yeah, you know, it's funny because my sister just had a baby and, you know, I like I take pictures of him and I've noticed something really fascinating about my interactions with him. Like if you are behind a screen, that kid will not smile. Um, and so we just we put a tripod in the background and we're like, all right, the key to like getting great pictures of this kid is not to actually you know make him aware of the camera, but to basically engage him. And uh, it's really fascinating to watch where, you know, 
when he sees the camera, he stops engaging completely. But if he sees our faces, he turns into like a completely different kid. And I'm like, wow, this is a three month old who's aware of this. Can learn from the kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let, let's talk about this idea of words that move, because one thing I was thinking about, you know, when you were talking about your dad, um, talking about sort of simplifying things and making it digestible uh, is this book, Smart Brevity, that was written by uh, the, the founders of Axios. And I remember talking to my brother-in-law about this, and he actually had a really interesting counter argument about Smart Brevity. He said, in a lot of ways, it's kind of basically saying, yeah, we've given up our attention span is too short for anything. He's like, it's basically just admitting we have no more capacity for depth. And that's the way that media is created in order to basically cater to our short attention spans rather than saying, hey, maybe we should work on improving our attention spans so we can consume something of depth. And given that, you know, your domain name is words that move, I, I want to tell you about like, how do we, one, use words, keep things simple, but also maintain that capacity for depth? Because I feel like long form content is one of those things where it's really difficult to get people to consume something long form. Like if you write a, you know, 18,000 word blog post, which I've occasionally done, I'm amazed at how difficult it is for people to actually sit and read the entire thing. And yeah, I don't think it's black and white, but I do, I love the Abraham Lincoln quote of, I'm sorry, I wrote such a long speech. I didn't have time to write a shorter one. Yeah. Um, and there is a layer at which like, there is a beauty in brevity and simplicity and like we have a mastery of something if we can really take the concept of it and make it simple and teach it to a child and make it so understandable that way. I think uh -huh. most of our media ecosystem is not operating that way as much as just like, here's a couple of things and here's, an, it's, it's not mastery showing our short piece of art. It's let me just churn out a million things. And I think those are very different in their philosophy and in their output. Yeah. Um, but I think there's absolute beauty in, uh, in making a complex idea simple like that mm -hmm. feels very special when it's done when it's done well and not to diminish all that can be learned of course if we dive in more depth there's always more to learn um, and for me words are words are the vehicle like i have words happen to be my tool where i'm trying to deliver you this piece of soul and i for, for whatever reason that happens to me through words and specific rhymes and rhythms and i'm very very grateful for that but to me it could, people will have different vehicles. This happens to be mine and what works for me. Yeah. Well, let's just take something, for example, like writing, because we were talking about that. I mean, if you were to talk about this tactically, like how do you get to the point of, you know, simplifying complex ideas um, in a way that they become digestible? Because I remember I was talking to Dan Pink about this and I, I said, you know, my favorite thing about Dan Pink's books is that they're so easy to read. I was like, you take concepts that are incredibly deep, incredibly rich. And he was telling me, he said that he was so happy to hear that because he said the amount of time he puts into that is really such a big part of his mm -hmm. writing process. He said he might do two months of research and read 10 different white papers. And he said, you know what? That might lead to two sentences. And he's like, and I don't think that I should subject my readers to that hell just because I put in that time. And I was like, that sounds really nice and it sounds really hard to do. I think there's a skill in... When you're in, like, when you have your own editor's cap on, or like when you're, whether it's when you're creating or when you're ideating or when you're reviewing and editing, to be able to look over it and just like as a bored with not so much time reader, just kind of like reading your own work quickly, being like, did I get this? Like, huh? like, did I just have the reaction to my writing? Like, huh? What does that mean? What's going on? Um, but just like sort of put on the uninterested, bored person's hat as you're looking at your own work or thinking about what you're actually creating. To have the humility to also say, of all of the things that are being put out in the world, are like, are people going to care about this? Like, is this what I want to put forward? Is this, do, do I expect another person to actually like want to receive this or want to spend their time on that? Yeah. Um, and I think if we're having that level of skepticism of, our, of ourselves and like, it's also, of course, a balance with self-expression. It doesn't mean stop creating. But I think that dance of reading our own work with like, is anyone going to care? What's going on here? Am I really saying it? Can I get to that point faster? Um, I think that's, it's a nice, it's a nice dance that I think we figure out as we go through our creative process. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the, the way that Dan Pink summarized it. He said, basically, every word that is on the page has to fight for its life to be there. Mm. He's good, that Dan Pink. Yeah, he really is. Um, you know, 
I want to get back to the idea of sort of this idea of creating a more humane tech ecosystem. And you say that, you know, we can get that off the table as the metrics that matter most. We can start basing things on humanity. We can change from time spent to time well spent architects of our digital world. You have more data information and control over your attention, the tools to tweak our emotions. So, you know, we'll return your experience. The question then is, you know, if we can't expect the tech companies to do this because obviously it's not in their best interest because it's not profitable. Individually, what are the things that people could be doing in order to actually take control over their lives, uh, particularly when it comes to either just being addicted to or, or, you know, imprisoned by so many of these digital tools that go beyond sort of the standard, you know, block distractions, leave your phone out of the room, all the stuff that we know. And so, yeah, there are, of course, the little things like, turning off any notification that's not from a human being trying to reach you, like happy holidays from Tinder, this person is like your photo, all of those things. Um, one thing people really like is also just like buying a physical alarm clock. Um, so the first thoughts of your day are actually your own. You're not waking up and then immediately in all these truncated little pieces of messages or notifications and feeling behind. But I think the deeper the deeper act really becomes about like, how are we designing our lives? A combination of self-awareness and like therapy type practices of getting to know ourselves, because mm -hmm. the better we get to know ourselves, the more resistant we can be to all of these outside manipulators and persuasions. Um, but like learning our own practices of mindfulness, of self-awareness, and then designing our lives. If we're not being intentional about how we're spending our time, how we're crafting our social lives, what type of information we want to take in, then these algorithms are going to do it for us and they're not going to do it in a way that anybody will be happy with. So, of course, there's things you can do on the device and, you know, they're deleting apps. And one simple one is everyone listening to this podcast, there's one app on your phone. You know what it is. It's different for each of you, but there's one app. You're like, yeah, this is not good for me. Why am I spending so much time on this thing? Just delete it. Just delete the app. You can do that. You're in charge of your life. You can delete the app. Um, but I think also just addiction is often pain management. And we're avoiding a moment of boredom, a moment of loneliness, other feelings that are hard to feel. And I think working through those processes and designing our lives in ways that uh, that address that, I think, are where we see more long-term uh, solutions and long-term joy. So, you know, are we are we like past the point of no return in terms of fixing these things, or is there? Uh... Hope. I mean, given that we're seeing, you know, sort of Facebook basically seeming to have, you know, this mass exodus almost like, you know, the first time in years they saw a drop in user minutes. Meta seems to be like just in utter chaos right now. Um, it's almost like the consequences of their actions are finally catching up to them. Uh, and then again, you know, I think that, you know, if you're Mark Zuckerberg in a dorm room when you're in college, you probably never think, oh, the thing I'm building is going to disrupt elections someday. Sure. And, you know, I think something like what we see today is going to keep existing. Social media is not going anywhere. Um, we need to change the way that we're relating to it. I do think in some ways we're in like an era of unchecked cigarettes and people aren't as aware of the damages and haven't taken steps to mitigate them. But it's more complicated than just a simple vice, right? Because it's like more like if I, you know, one thing if I love ice cream, it's another thing if ice cream is being... If I carry around ice cream 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if I actually have to go inside of a tub of ice cream to talk to my friends and to do my work, and if ice cream is being updated every day to be more personally delicious for me, pretty tough to just kind of put down the ice cream. Um, and so I think it's, it's this deeply ingrained in our lives thing that is also quite addictive and challenging. And so what does it look like to navigate that differently? I think will be an ongoing challenge that we're dealing with, with dealing with for years and years to come. I don't think what exists now is going anywhere, but I do hope there will be new iterations that are significantly better. And mm -hmm. I imagine we probably will start to see regulations and all sorts of stuff coming in. And whether that's helpful or not is to be seen, but I bet we'll yeah. see some stuff happen. And that was literally my next question is sort of, you know, what are the responsibilities here of politicians to create regulations and, you know, dealing with the regulatory environment of this? Because like, from what I've gathered just from many of the books I've read is that it's kind of the wild, wild west when it comes to a regulatory environment uh, about all of this. Like, nobody seems to know what the hell they're doing. Yep, that seems to be the case. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, honestly, I'm not so knowledgeable on the legislation side of things. I also, in general, my theories of change are much less like, we're going to change one thing that's going to fix everything and much more. I think it comes from awareness and it comes from education and people changing personal habits. And so my focus is much more there than on legislation. But hearing things like 
raising the age of what the legal limit should technically be on some of these apps or platforms. That makes sense to me, but I, I'm, I'm not an expert on the legislation side of things. Wow. Wow. Um, well, this has been really fascinating. I mean, I, I feel like we could talk for hours about all of this stuff. Uh, but in the interest of time, I want to finish my final question. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Hmm. I think what makes somebody or something unmistakable is when they're deeply in touch and, and expressive of like their center, just what is super real for them. Um, to me, there's nothing more engaging and engrossing than people being fully and unapologetically themselves. And I think when people do that, it's just magnetic and it's beautiful and it's unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to? Yeah, uh, wordsthatmove.com. Um, I'm yeah, in two days releasing this special. Go watch it. I love it. I worked so hard to bring it to you. It's free, and I just want you to have it for it to feed your soul. Go, go watch that for sure. Uh, and then socialawakening.org is the organization I created to help kids deal with the chaos of social media in their lives. And I'm at Max Dossel on all the things. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? 
We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.